You guys can grab a seat. Uh, hopefully all of you got a cup. If you did not get a cup, just put your hands up. The ushers will grab one. It's important that every single person has a cup for what I'm about to say, but also important for what we're doing a little bit later. So if you don't have a cup, there's a few over here. If you don't have a cup, just slip your hands up. Little plastic cup. They're very, very fragile, so don't squeeze them too hard. Um, in light of this cup, thinking about this cup, I want you guys to do me a favor, and some of you are going to have to just in, pretend that you're doing it if you don't have your cup in time, but I want you to pretend, just for a second, you've got you to take part in this, okay? This is important. You've got to pretend that this is, like, the best drink ever, okay? Like, in here, like, this small amount, it seems small, but, but like, this is the most satisfying and best non-alcoholic, come on, guys, we're in tr- this is a non, non-alcoholic, the best drink you can think of possibly, okay, everyone? And what we're going to do in a second here, we're going to drink that. Okay, but I, I want you to sell it. Like, I want to hear, like, ah, at the end of it. And, and I want to hear, like, I want to hear as much as we possibly can of how satisfying and good it is for each of us. So let's do that quickly. Who, who's ready? You guys ready? Everyone have their cup. If you don't have a cup, you can just pretend because that's kind of what we're doing anyways. Um, all right, so ready? Here we go. Everyone, you got to sell this, okay? Best drink. Remember, get your mind. Best drink you've ever thought of, okay? All right, let's do it. Ah. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. Wasn't that amazing? Is that the best drink ever? Come on, tell me about it. Who would like, seriously, like, so good, right? Yeah, it's amazing. This is almost cruel considering I asked everyone on Good Friday to start fasting, right? Um, pretending that something is satisfying isn't the same as having the real thing. And a lot of you, we, 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 just, we just pretended. I, I kind of baited you. I'm sorry for that. But we pretended that something was good. And, and the issue is, is that a lot of times we do that in life, but it doesn't actually make something good because we're pretending. And so today what I wanted to do is I wanted to, we'll come back to those cups, so if you'd stay with me, my hope is and my, 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 my prayer is and my, my desire is that all of us would recognize that maybe um, some of us, whether we've been walking with the Lord for a while or been close to the Lord for a while, or maybe we don't even know Jesus or we've just kind of heard ideas about it, but, but, rea- but at the truth, at the core of what we're doing, we've been pretending to be satisfied. We've been pretending to be satisfied. Even when we talk about Resurrection Sunday, Jesus resurrecting from the dead, and we get excited about that, we look at it as a distant, distant kind of bystander looking in through the lens at something that happened, and we disconnect ourselves from it. Very rarely do we find satisfaction in the fact that he has risen from the dead. And so today, my hope is that at the end of today, you would see better what Christ actually has done for us and is doing for us, and that your role isn't just to read this as some narrative. Oh, Jesus died on a cross some thousand years ago, and that's all my part was, but instead see that you are actually a character in the narrative. You have a part in the story. You have a role in this story. Whether you knew it or not, 2,000 years later, 2,000 plus years later, you have a role. You play a part. And I wanted to do that today, actually, uh, through a little bit non-traditional way, so bear with me, and we'll come back to these cups. But, but I wanted to talk about a ritual, a ceremonial ritual that, that was practiced for years and years and years. In fact, some, today Jews still practice this. And it was this, it was this meal that would happen around a very, very amazing historical thing. It was when, when, the, when the Israelites were enslaved by Egypt, and, and, they, and Moses... And they were going to help. And God wanted them to be free. And so God had this whole line of what he was going to do to free the Israelites from the slavery of Egypt. To free them so that they didn't have any more enslavement. And so this is what happens. And, and some of you know the story. The Passover was, was that, um, if you've seen The Prince of Egypt or some other movie that's, oops, I'm not supposed to say that. Um, trademarked. Okay, so anyways, uh, 
um, if you've seen those things or you've read the story, you've read through Exodus, you understand that, that ultimately God shows up and frees his people from, it, from Egypt. And he does that through a series of miracles, miraculous things that happen, these incredible things that happen, to culminating on the water being split and them walking across on dry land so that the Israelites are fully free from the Egyptians who are pursuing them. And so what happens is we see in Exodus 6, 6 through 7, this, this declaration of, of what God will do for his people. And so his people have then, since that day, since they walked on dry ground until Jesus' day specifically, and then many still today, have every single year taken part in a meal. A, a meal, it was called the Passover meal, or the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Both of those kind of became one. And every single year, they would sit down around a table in groups of 10 to 20-ish, and they would, they would relive in, 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 in storytelling what was happening to the Israelites and what God was doing for the Israelites. And it was called this Passover meal. And the Passover gets a name because the last miracle that God did is he said he's going to slay all firstborns, except for those that have the blood of an of a unspotted lamb on their doorpost. And so all the Israelites wipe the, the blood on their doorpost in that way, and, and God's wrath, his vengeance, passes over those families. And then the Feast of Unleavened Bread is, is because in haste, all of the Israelites flipped. They had no, had no leaven. Leaven was something they would do, yeast. It was basically they would they'd make it, the bread would rise, and they'd pull a piece off, hold it aside, and cook that bread. And so they would just keep doing that. Well, because they left in haste, they had zero leaven. They had no yeast. And so it was the Feast of Unleavened Bread over the Passover. It would always start on the Passover. It would last eight days. And it was very, very ceremonial, very, very um, rigorous, and everyone would par take part in it. They wouldn't, they wouldn't miss it. And in each one of these, they would have um, kind of four glasses of, of, this is juice, but they'd have watered down wine, and these four glasses served a purpose. Every single thing they did in the meal served a purpose. The, 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 the bitter herbs that were there would remind them of the bitterness of the wilderness. The unleavened bread was because there was no unleavened. And then they would have this ceremonial cleanse and this, this drink, and they'd work through these cups. And each of these cups meant something very, very significant. Actually, each of these cups symbolized a promise that God gave them. And this was something that they would do on a regular basis. It was something that you would go to Jerusalem for. It was something that happened on a very, very, very regular commandment way every single year for every single believer that wanted to take part in it. And what they would do is they would, they would come to this meal, and usually the host of the table would be U-shaped table and they would be reclining at it. So most likely they were laying on their hand right here and eating this way. That's how low it was with their feet away from the table. And the host would be kind of at the front of the U, not this big long table, but the front of the U. And they would walk you through this. And they would, every symbolize, every cup, they'd raise it and they'd talk about it. And they'd pray and they'd do the ceremony cleanse. And they'd go through all the way to the end. And at the end, it would be like, okay, we just celebrated what God did for our people, for our forefathers in Israel at this time. Each cup had a, a symbol at this time. And, and again, you get this out of Exodus 6, 6 through 7. There are actually scriptures there. Um, but there's the cup of sanctification. It was the first cup. This is the cup that, that, that promises, I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt. This is the cup that he offers, and he would have this cup of sanctification. Today, just so you guys know, there were these symbolized stance for these cups, but we have scripture that says the same thing. Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a work in you will, begin, will bring it to completion on Jesus Christ. So we see the promise of sanctification even outside of these cups. But this is the cup of, of um, the cup of sanctification. The second cup was the cup of deliverance. 
And this would be a cup to pick up. This is before the lamb had been eaten. They would have been, this is before the meal even started. This is kind of at the beginning. And they would talk about the cup of deliverance. And this was on the promise based on God's statement that I will deliver you from slavery. I will deliver you from slavery. Psalm 34, 17 tells us the righteous cry out to God. The righteous cry out to the Lord. And he hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. And then the third cup would come, and it was very important. So we got sanctification, we got deliverance. And the third cup would come, and it was the cup of redemption. This is the cup of redemption. This is the cup that they would, that they would take, and they would, they would recognize that, that God is going to redeem them with an outstretched arm. We see Ephesians 1, 7 for us. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. This cup usually came after the, the lamb had been eaten, the cup of redemption. It was at the end of the lamb. And then at the end of the meal, the very last, at the very end, they would kind of come to it and they would go to this last cup. And this last cup was the cup of restoration. Based on the promise of, I will take you as my people. You are, you are my people. These are, these are my people. I'll take you and I will be your God. You know what's interesting is that Jesus gets there and we'll just get here in just a second. Jesus comes to this very meal with his disciples. On the day before he's hung on the cross, he comes and he sets up and he says, let's have, let's celebrate the Passover meal. What's unique and interesting about this is it's on Thursday and he's celebrating the Passover meal without the lamb being present because the lambs hadn't been slaughtered. Some 250,000 lambs would be slaughtered on the Passover. And 10 to, 12, 10 to 20 people would eat of that lamb in the Passover meal that then would carry on the feast of unleavened bread. And so, so they, 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 they have this last cup of restoration, this last place, and then Jesus... If you just want to kind of go back with me, what we know, just before the cross, he's sitting in that upper room with his disciples. And there's so much visual, like, in, um, representations of what's happening and why he chooses the Passover to redo. Why he does this one, not the Day of Atonement or all the other festivals that happened. This one specifically. And we assume at this point when Jesus is there, the cer ceremonial cleanse has happened, but we also pick up from the Gospel of John that no one really did anything. And so Jesus does, while they're arguing about who's greatest, he gets up and washes the feet of all his disciples. Almost he, he embodies the ceremonial cleanse. And then they have the meal, and this is where Jesus says, one will betray us. Like, who is Jesus? And they all say, not I, Lord. And, and Judas comes out and says, is it me, Rabbi? And he basically says, Judas, go and do what you came to do. So then jo Judas leaves the room. And in that moment now, with, with Jesus and the 11, Jesus does something that is so crazy. It is actually the pivotal point of what we celebrate today. He stands up in the middle of Passover meal where every single one, now hear, hear me on this, every single one of those people present knew what was supposed to happen. They knew what was going to be said. They knew when it was said. They knew what their role was in this. And they just kind of going through it. Now, now picture this. These Jews that are sitting around Jesus, these, these people that are around Jesus right now are coming to celebrate a Passover of the freedom they've experienced from the Egyptian slavery while they're oppressed by Rome. I tend to feel like maybe the Passover meal maybe lost a little bit of its excitement. And they're like, wait, we, we're celebrating God doing a miracle through the Israelites and, and Egypt. What, what about Rome? I even believe that maybe some of them, we, we get from the, the text, that some of these disciples are thinking, oh, this is what's happening. Passover, this is what we're doing. Jesus is going to crush Rome. And Jesus, in the, in the moment, he picks up that third cup before they'd eaten the lamb. So the lamb wasn't present. Picks up that third cup, and he says in Matthew 26, 26 through 28, says, took the bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, 
And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, if they had a record playing, I guarantee it would have done the urge moment there, okay? What Jesus just did is, is radical, profound, and, and drastically different. He literally takes the bread and says, this is my body. This unleavened bread, you know, in, in Scripture, leaven is only defined two ways, as what rises bread and as sinfulness, as sinfulness. And Jesus says, I am the unleavened bread. I am without contamination. My body is perfect. I am whole. And you have forever celebrated the cup of sanctification, the cup of deliverance, the cup of redemption, and the cup of restoration. But I'm doing a new covenant. I'm doing something drastically different. And he pauses. He pauses in that moment. And he gives them this cup. And the disciples partake. And again, in that moment, they don't know what they're doing. I mean, they should. Jesus said it over and over again and, and had it. But they're, they're just kind of going along for the ride going, okay, wait a second. Now, Jesus' body is broken? Wait, wait, hang on. It's not a lamb's blood anymore. It's, it's, it's Jesus' blood? What, what, is he, what is he talking about here? And it's almost like in an instant, Jesus does exactly what needed to happen for those disciples, and I think he does it exactly what needs to happen for us. See, we, we come to the table. We come to Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. We come with expectations of what it's going to look like. Okay, we'll hear something about death, something about life, and cool, we'll move on, we'll celebrate, and, and then we go. And Jesus, in this moment, he, he, he institutes, he revises Passover and makes it about him. Which really, if you think about it, these, these Jews that were oppressed by Rome, they wanted to be freed. They wanted to see the miracles of God free them so that they could leave this oppression and this control. And Jesus does something profound. He introduces a fifth cup. See, we actually don't see in the text that he actually takes the last cup here. We never, he never gets to the fourth cup of restoration. In fact, he, he, never, he never partakes of it. But what Jesus does say at the beginning, he says, I will not, I will not drink or eat of this meal again until my kingdom of heaven. Revelations 5, 9, and 10 talks about every nation, tribe, and tongue being present at the feast. Jesus is withholding this Passover meal and this last cup of restoration until he can drink of that with all of his kingdom. And so he's not partaking in it, but he encourages us to keep doing this. Take this, remember me. Don't lose heart. Don't lose sight. Take and remember me. But for him to get from the third cup of redemption to get to the cup of restoration, he had to put a fifth cup in between them. And what cup is this specifically? We've talked about this before, but this cup, we see very clearly what this cup is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Just after Jesus does this whole thing with the disciples, Peter argues with them about how he would never leave him. They go to pray, and all the disciples fall asleep, and Jesus is praying, and we're let in. I, uh, Jesus probably is praying so many amazing things, but we're led into one thing he prays specifically. In Matthew chapter 26, 38 through 39, he says, Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Now take, take notice of that. This is fully man, but fully God. He is, he is so sorrowful that he's feeling death. I mean, I'm sure a lot of us have felt really sad and maybe have experienced that deep sorrow. But here, Jesus, perfect, sinless Jesus, sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And he, going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup, this fifth cup, let it pass from me. What is this fifth cup? This fifth cup is God's wrath. It's his divine judgment being poured out on Jesus Christ instead of me. In an instance, like Jesus says this, he says, hey, 
hey, give me your cup. Go ahead, go ahead, pour it in. I'll drink of it. And we line up one by one by one. And we don't bring anything good. We bring everything that deserves a cross. And we dump it till it's completely dry into the cup of Jesus. One by one we take. He walks up to us. He looks at us face to face and says, no, no, I'll, I'll drink yours too. I, I, I'll drink yours too. I'll drink yours too. Come on, empty it out. All of it. And in an instant, on the cross, Jesus drinks the entirety of God's wrath and judgment for the sinfulness of us, of me, of you, of everyone in history. In one instant, God drinks. Jesus drinks and drinks and drinks and drinks. And just in case I held back some, he's like, no, no, Brent, hang on. You got to get the rest of that out. I need to pay for all of it because it doesn't work if I only pay for some. In an instant, he brings a fifth cup to the table. He says, I will drink of this cup. And when he's done drinking of that cup, he's pulled down off of the cross. He's put in that tomb. And you know what happens for those of us that he drank for? Those of us that have submitted our lives to him? We become his people. We become the cup of restoration. He has taken us as his people, and we, he is our God. And in an instant, we get to bypass the cross and everything that went there. And instead, we walk the tomb with Christ. We get, to, we, get to, we get to miss all the pain, all the penalty, all the punishment, all the discipline, all that stuff. We get to miss all of that, and we get to walk into the tomb. And all we have to do is say, okay, I'm ready to die with you, Jesus, so that I may walk with you in life. On Good Friday services, we challenged everyone that was there to, to identify themselves, whatever they identify themselves with, whatever brokenness they may have. Whatever brokenness they identify themselves with, broken relationships or whatever it may be, and hammer that to the cross. But don't just hammer that, but hammer your name. Let, let the entirety of you go to death. If the entirety of you doesn't go to death. Resurrection just isn't that sweet for you either. So why talk about this today? Why go to a Passover meal, Eucharist or communion for us to talk about? Why do this today? Because of, of, of two things really. One, specifically, every single Jewish person Every single Jewish person, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a single Jewish person before Jesus sets on scene that doesn't understand the whole point of the Passover meal. The cup of sanctification, the cup of deliverance, the cup of redemption, the cup of restoration. They understand clearly their part in that role is nothing. God does all of it. He sanctifies. He delivers. He redeems. He restores. God does all of it. But yet, some 2,000 years later, we come to the table and we still think we have a role. You want to know what our role is? There's two really, really interesting roles. Our role is to empty our cup of sinfulness into his cup to drink for us. That's our role. And then the more profound and beautiful and the one we celebrate is that we get to walk out of the tomb with Christ. There's our role, guys. We don't do any of it. The, the, the Jewish people didn't sit down and say, well, we you know, stood by the banks of the water in the right way so that then God could part the water. No, no, we, you know, we, we did all these things to make all these miracles happen. You know, I was smelling kind of funny, so that's why the bugs really came. Like, they didn't, they didn't own any part of it. There was no confusion. Yet when we come today, when we think about Jesus' blood being spilled for us and his body being broken for us, and not just for our sins, but for us, we still think we have a part in it. We still think we play some role. And this is why I think so many of us pretend on resurrection. Because we, we want to be happy about Jesus resurrecting from the, from, from the dead, 
but we, we watch it at a distance and say, oh, it happened a couple thousand years ago. Good job, God. And we don't realize that really, literally, we, we when Jesus walked in that tomb, we went in with him. While we walked, he got placed in that tomb. In fact, we, we talked about this. Uh, we began this, this verse on our Good Friday services and didn't end it. We said, when you were nailing your sins to the cross, we said, I want you to just say this over and over again. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. And just say that over and over and over and over again. That's actually Galatians 2, 20. There's a massive comma in that scripture, guys. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ. But Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Do you see what's happening? In an instant, when we come to communion, Jesus Christ is now our sanctification. We saw that in Philippians 1.6. He's our deliverer, Psalm 34.17. He's our redemption, Ephesians 1.7. And he's our restoration, Revelations 5, 9, and 10. Do you see, that? Do you see in, a, in an instant, Jesus takes all of these and says, I will do it by adding in one cup. It's that one extra cup. It's not us, it's him. We bring brokenness, he gives wholeness. Romans 6, 3 through 4 says, Do you not know that all of you have been baptized into Christ Jesus? We're baptized into what? Into his death. Into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order what? This is the in order. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Guys, that is that ah, satisfying thing that we've been looking for. That's the satisfaction, is that we can walk new. We don't have to carry around the brokenness anymore because in Christ we are whole. We can shed all of that at the cross and say it's left, it's gone because I walked into the tomb with Christ. He took my sin and he took me so that I could walk in life. Guys, that should be satisfying. In a moment here, we're gonna take communion. I'm gonna talk about a couple things first. You have this cup and there's a, there's a table back here and a table back here as well so you guys can get some time. I want you to go and get it if you want to take part in it. But I want you to exchange this cup for the cup with blood. I want you to give up this empty cup. I want you to look at it. It is empty. The only thing that, if it were full, the only thing you could fill it with is the sins that hung Jesus to the cross, the brokenness that you've walked with. And I want you to exchange it. I want you to throw it in a trash right next to there, or just set on the table, whatever needs to happen. I want you to exchange it for one that is full of his blood, doing, doing two things for us. One, for, for those of us that are believers, I think this might be maybe just considered a renewing. You keep walking around life feeling like, oh, I'm just going to have to deal with this anger, this bitterness, this unforgiveness. You just keep walking around with this brokenness. It's almost like you stood at the window and looked in at Jesus' tomb. You smell of death. You've been around it. You know what it looks like, but you never fully died. And some of you, you did die, but you've lost sight of that. You've lost sight of that. You've let the cares of this world drown it out. You've forgotten what he's doing in each of these cups. You forgot how Christ is still moving in spite of what you see in your own life and others' lives. So I challenge you to exchange it. Some of you, some of you, 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 don't, you don't profess to follow Jesus. You're like, you know what? Like, I know I've been pretending. I was the one that sounded the best on the front end of pretending the cup because I'm that good at pretending. In fact, most of the people in my life think that I am following, but I'm just pretending. And some of you, and man, I, this is just weird. You're talking about blood. You're talking about all these this, this cups, these rituals. Like what? This is weird to me. I want to I encourage you, whether it's, it's, it's you've been pretending for a long time or you're still struggling with this, there is no hope 
or joy in your cup. There's no life here, guys. You have zero life in this cup. The longer you hold on to it, the drier it gets. The more you pretend, you're fooling less and less people, including yourself. There's no hope in this. So denounce your life. Give it up. Say, I'm, do I'm done doing this on my own. I'm done. I want nothing more of this. Romans 10.9 says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. So it is. Confess, God, I need you. I must repent of, of what actually filled your cup. Some of you, Jesus stepped up to you, walked up to you, and he said, here, put this in. And you're like, but I don't want to. He's like, no, fill it. I'll drink it. You're like, no, no, Jesus, you don't have to do that as if you're God. And Jesus says, no, no, you don't understand. If you want life, I have to do this for you. In fact, when you take of that bread and that juice, you know what you're doing? You're agreeing that he had to be crucified. You're not just doing it in remembrance. You're agreeing. You're setting yourself up and saying, I want Jesus to be sacrificed. I want his blood to be spilled so that I can walk in restoration as his people and he can be my God. So in a second, we're going to exchange. If you guys want to do that, recognize that when we submit our lives to Jesus, Ezekiel 36, he says he removes a heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we walk in it. Therefore, as anyone is Christ, a new creation, the old has what? Has passed away. There's no need to pretend, guys. The old is gone. The new is what's present. Walk in that. The band's going to come up, and we're going to give you guys a chance to take communion. I want to clearly say a few things. First off, those of you that were at our Good Friday service, we had you do a couple things. We had you nail your names to the cross, um, specifically saying, my identity is dying. I'm, I want to be dead. I want to exchange my own name. So I look in the mirror. I no longer see Bren, but I see Christ who lives in me. And we asked you to exchange that. The other thing that we asked you, and some of you took, took part in, was we asked you to fast. We said, don't let anything but the body of Jesus rest in your body until you get a chance to drink of the blood of Jesus. And so those of you that have been fasting, those of you that were here and were able to take part in that, I want to say something. A little bit of grape juice is not going to satisfy you. It's just going to make that stomach start gurgling a little bit more. But I want you to, I want you to picture that juice falling into you and bringing about full satisfaction. Because it's not the juice it's not even just what it represents. It's Jesus standing in front of you saying, I spilled my blood for you. Be satisfied. I am restoring you to people. I am your God. Be satisfied. So for those of you that, that weren't a part of Good Friday, um, you, there is bread back there. And I want you guys to go ahead and grab that at the same time. You are free to take the bread at any moment. Just know that you're taking of Jesus' body being broken for you. A perfect, sinless, unleavened body being broken for you. And you can take in that. And then we will take the juice together in just a second. So feel free. Again, there's communion back there and over here as well. Take the bread as a family, as a group who we came with, and I will have lead us in the cup in just a second. As you exchanged your cup for his, I hope that you saw that you are part of this history. It's not just something you look at that happened a few thousand years ago, a couple thousand years ago, and you just awe at, but instead see that, that, that your cup needed to go there, that you needed to empty yourself, you needed to die to yourself so that you could fully raise and live with Christ. I hope that you would see that satisfaction comes not from the cares of this world, but instead from the creator of it. I hope that you would see that satisfaction doesn't come from our own work, but from his work. Satisfaction doesn't come from us keeping our life, but instead willingly walking into the tomb with him so that we can be resurrected with him. 
And Jesus, on that night when he called the audible around the cup of redemption, the cup that you and I get to take now, the cup of redemption, waiting and longing to be redeemed to God, the cup that we get to do in remembrance of him, he lifted it up and he said, this is my blood. This is my blood that is, is, is covers for the sins of so many people, including you, Bren, including you. Every sin you've done, every sin you will do, my blood washes over. Now die with me so that I may raise you from the dead. So do this and remember me. Don't forget what I've done. And we can take confidence and hope in knowing that Jesus himself is literally looking down with anticipation and excitement to take part in this meal with all of us in his kingdom when everything is restored the way that it was intended to be. So he took this cup. He said, this is my blood that's poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. When you drink of this, you aren't just drinking to be satisfied. You're drinking to recognize that I both, A, that he had to have his blood spilled for me. I want his blood to be spilled. Because when his blood is spilled, I can be alive. I can be whole instead of broken. You're also remembering what he has done for you in that, but also what he promises to do. And to finishing the work he started in you. So we don't have to walk with brokenness. We don't have to see ourselves in the mirror anymore. We can just see him. We don't have to pretend anymore. Your pretending isn't getting you anywhere. And so would you be satisfied in Jesus' blood once and for all, recognizing that you've exchanged your own identity for his. You've given of your life for his, and he's given of his life so that we can have life. Let's drink this together. Father, there really isn't anything in the physical act of drinking a very small amount of grape juice that seems satisfying. But when we recognize what it symbolizes, what it means, the, the fact that this is, this is my opportunity to, to align myself, to submit myself to you as Lord and Savior, God, I would gladly take sips of that all day long. Thank you for once and for all taking the punishment of sin. God, it's weird to think that that so much blood needs to be spilled for my sin, but yet you took so much wrath of God for it. You had enough ability to take and drink of that fifth cup, just like you have enough blood to cover my sins and the sins of everyone in this room. And so, Lord, I pray that we would walk in that. We'd celebrate in that. We would be able to, to... to jump with joy in resurrection, not just because you raised, but because that means that we are alive too. We don't have to walk in brokenness or pain or shame anymore because we are freed through the Son of Jesus Christ. Father, forgive us for making light of your resurrection. Forgive us for even not aligning ourselves to that at time. Forgive us for forgetting about how incredible it is what you did for us. God, may we never forget. May we praise you with every aspect of our lives. You deserve the glory, God, and the honor. It's in the magnificent, crucified, risen, resurrected Messiah Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.